0: spoke about hardly waiting for that blazing glory of Christ when He comes back at His return. And we we get excited about that, don't we? But uh, you know, Christians look forward to the return of Christ. But I will tell you, it's an absolutely different tune for those who don't know Christ. Those who don't believe in Christ obviously really don't really care about the second coming of Christ. Matter of fact, Don't even believe in it, right? If they don't believe in Christ, you don't believe in the second coming. Uh, They could care less. It's a fearful, frightful day though when Christ comes back as the severe judgment will take place. And that's the biggest aspect besides our looking forward to His return as Christians. Unbelievers will be severely judged. It's a joyful time for us, but it's uh, kind of bitter, too, because uh, it can be worse than any nightmare that you could ever dream of. We continue on with the kingdom, the second coming, that topic. It's full of intrigue, full of mystery, isn't it? And uh, I do believe it can be very controversial. And uh, Christians discuss and debate vigorously <laughs> over this topic. There are many different views we know. We can certainly glean from Scripture the future. And there's a lot in the Bible about the future. I mean a lot. And we can understand it. We are to interpret Scripture even in times in the clearest, simplest, and most straightforward way that we would any other topic. It's not ambiguous. It's not understandable. It's very understandable. The Lord wants us to know it. We know in the book of Revelation, He says, blessed are those who read these words, the ones who understand these words and and want the, the Lord to come back and to know what those times are about. The Bible gives a lot of descriptions. Uh... This whole event, it's an epic. You know, the day of the Lord and such, and that can be more than a 24-hour time period. It can be a lot of days during the time uh, that He... The, the, Actually, I guess you could say the uh, Great Tribulation starts all the way to the time that Christ comes back. That would be considered a day of the Lord, some even all the way into the kingdom. So a lot of things that happen. We, you know, we have the rapture, we have the seven-year tribulation, the Antichrist, the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, all this can be taken in a literal, historical way. It's not something that's just all symbolic. Uh, new heavens, new earth, the elements at the end of the kingdom, all the elements and the heavens and the earth will burn up. We'll have new heavens and new earth all the way to that where Christ is crowned king all the way through that kingdom and then He gives everything up to that one holistic view of the very end. When we read about the second coming, apply the rules of interpretation just as you would the first coming of Jesus. You know, we literally would believe that Jesus was born in where? Bethlehem. Was that prophesied? Yes. So what is so symbolic about that? Nothing. It was absolute truth. So when you see truths that are in the future, why would all of a sudden they be symbols and not something that's going to happen in the future? It's very irritating that people change the rules when it comes to future events. See, at one time, the coming of Christ the first time was also future. <laughs> it was not symbolic. It was something that they looked forward to, the coming of Christ. It's, uh, sometimes it can leave us in, in, a, I guess you could say, a mystery. Uh, we take what we know to be true and we let that rule. There are a lot of things that we can't quite understand. We keep examining it and going into it and you know whatever he's revealed dig for it look for it try to see the answer to it all at the same time knowing that it's still something future Uh, it's great it's happy it's glorious it's fulfilling it's a great celebration for the people of Christ isn't it? Jesus is telling the Jews the Pharisees something that is different than the way they thought what the kingdom was going to be like. He starts describing how deadly it is, how frightening, how terrifying, how destructive that his judgment will be. They didn't think of it that way. They thought of it as a glorious time where they go into the kingdom because they're the people <laughs> of Abraham. But that is not the way that Christ is portraying it here in Luke 17 as he tells them that they better get their hearts right and find out what the true kingdom really is before the kingdom comes. This is shocking to the Jews that were the disciples even. Startling to them that they anticipated this glorious time that was going to happen any moment. And he says there's going to be massive judgment like you've never seen before. Nothing on TV or in the movies could ever portray how e- how destructive God's judgment will be. So what we want to do is look at Luke 17 and start at verse 26, I do believe. We left off at 25, where we talked about the Son of Man and His blazing glory that comes back. We looked at it a very up-tempo way last week. And it was for us as we come back. The blazing glory of Jesus Christ. And then in 26 he says, And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling. They were planting, they were building. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, the one who is on the housetop, And whose goods are in the house must not go down to take them out. And likewise, the one who is in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken. The other will be left. There will be two women grinding at the same place. One will be taken, the other will be left. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other will be left. And answering, they said to him, Where, Lord? He said to them, Where the body is, there also the vultures will be gathered. Let's pray. Father, what a somber section that we're dealing with this morning. Help us to realize this is truth. This is real. Your word is truth. Help us to understand this further. Help us to get a feel of this, that it would make us desire the lost people around us for them to understand your truth and that judgment is certainly coming Jesus name Amen pretty heavy very heavy we're looking at the devastating judgment That happens upon the unbelieving world. We don't take joy in that. But the wrath of God has to come because He is holy. And anybody who is not made holy will be judged severely. We will glimpse at uh, two judgments that are the most notable in all of the history of mankind. One was the flood, obviously, that actually flooded the whole earth everywhere above the mountains. Took out millions of people. There were only eight that got saved out of millions. And then we will look at uh, another illustration that everybody is familiar with and when I say everybody it seems like everybody in the world has heard of something about Sodom and Gomorrah and he judged that whole area the cities were taken out everybody destroyed except Lot and his two daughters so two illustrations that he's done before he uses it here Peter actually uses that thought also when he talks about Noah's flood and Sodom and Gomorrah. And we say, what was going on in the world at those times? Why would God do this? I think we know. But that's what we're going to look at. What were the times like? Look at it. Kind of compare it to our time. It's why God had to judge. He did it severely. He's made a lot of other judgments, but those two stick out. First one is the flood. Say it's gonna be two, flood, then Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, flood. According to Genesis six, the days were evil. Evil days. We know that people lived for hundreds of years. Some lived at 900 and more years. They had big families. They had families even when they were hundreds of years old. They had children, so you can imagine. Multiplication really happened at that time. There had to be millions of people. So, think about it. The flood drowned all those millions of people. Why would God do this? What kind of God is this? Well, Genesis chapter 6 gives us a real good glimpse of what God brings judgment. It's a depraved world, obviously, wasn't it? Verse five, six, 5, The Lord saw that wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. You know what that's describing? The natural man. The natural man without God in his soul. He's evil, he's wicked. The Lord was even sorry that he made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man, whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things, and to birds of the sky, for I'm sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. There's judgment, but there is grace. And it's all about the glory of God. Evil days continually. Wretchedness out of this evil and wickedness. Demonic possession. Demon possessed men were ravaging women. It's a whole culture of demonic possession. Culture of sexual abandonment where they just did whatever they wanted. It was a manner of absolute wretchedness, vileness. So vile that God had to drown the entire world. You ever wondered why He even let man live after this? Why didn't He just finish off man? They all served it, even Noah. God gave him grace to repopulate the earth. But He could have taken every man, woman, and child said, so that's it and never deal with man again. Could have done that. He didn't, but he could have. you ever wondered why he even allows us to live today? Why in this world would he keep this world going on whenever you see what's going on? The wretchedness, the vileness, the immorality, the debauchery that goes on. The depravity of man. That's the nature of man. You know what? That's just the way the world will be when the Lord comes back. Just like it was in the days of Noah with that wicked, evil people. So it will be when it comes back. What about now? Right now, we're ripe for judgment. It can happen any time. I will tell you that it's not too hard, hard to imagine the world we know now, comparing it to Noah's time. But what about in the future? Do you know it's going to even be worse than it is now? The, the world will wax worse and worse. won't it? All you have to do is read Revelation, it's prophecy, and see what kind of things are going on. Did you know that there will be an Antichrist? during the great tribulation. The beast, the false prophet, living under him, the people will believe the lie, absolute delusion. Demons will be unleashed out of Tartarus and they will wreak havoc over the people and the world. The great restrainer, the Holy Spirit, will be removed during this time. Sin will not be restrained. It's being restrained now. How bad can mankind be? As bad as you see it, I want to tell you, it can be worse. Because the nature of man, no telling how bad a human heart can really go into absolute corruption. Once you take a restrainer out of the way, God's restraining this. Otherwise, His wrath would happen now. So He restrains it to a big degree. And then the mystery of lawlessness takes over. That's how bad it will be when Christ comes back. Just like in the days of Noah. Only a little bit worse So, first thing about the flood were the evil days, obviously. Number two is there is a warning. God is so merciful, so gracious, so loving, so patient that He just doesn't say, okay, that's it, I'm not even going to tell them. I'm just going to blast them out like that. Could have done it. But he's a God that gives warning. The interesting thing is that all the people were warned during the time of Noah. That there would be judgment upon the world. They all knew it. Every man, woman, and child knew it. They knew that was going to happen. Or at least they heard about it. I'm not sure they knew it, but they never did anything about it. They didn't change any of their lives. They didn't repent. God gave fair warning. How long did He go until He brought the judgment? One hundred and twenty years. That's more than our lifetimes. That's a judgment and it's warned every day. Think about uh, God was ready to destroy the pagan city of Nineveh. Can you imagine how evil and wicked they were? He used a prophet who didn't want to do what God said, still had the message of judgment. There was repentance. The whole city was saved. God gave fair warning to people who didn't deserve it at all, did they? His mercy and His grace was applied to a people who were evil and wicked. It wasn't his people until he said they were his people. That's a god of grace, isn't it? All during the time of judgment, you know what you see? You see judgment and you see grace. Wow, only God could be that way. Go to Second Peter two verse five. How did he get his message across to the people? He did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah. What was he? A preacher of righteousness. Seven others. When he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. God favored or graced Noah for 120 years. Whether he said anything or not, each day or... a p- particular days. You know what? He's building the ark. They had never heard of rain. He's going to flood the earth. But he's building an ark out there where everybody knows about it. Word gets around. What a crazy man he was. We don't need an ark. We will have water here to float it in. He preached Righteousness. The righteousness of God. He preached it. He lived it. In a time that was what? Wicked, evil, degenerate, depraved, debauched. What a society. We live in that society today. You know what we are to be? Preachers of righteousness. Righteousness you have the righteousness of Christ tell what it is and tell them what that judgment will be coming upon this world and anybody who does not believe in the sacrificial Savior Jesus Christ people were warned he built the ark you know what Let's take it to the second coming. Is God going to warn the people then? Would He do that then? They don't deserve it, right? Well, before the second coming, there will be two witnesses. Some say Moses and Elijah. Others say Moses and Eve. You have a lot of interpretations. Could be others. But if it's Moses and Elijah, I like that one. It's okay, I'll go with that one. Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. Of course, Enoch was taken up in the rapture. Or or, or like a picture of the rapture. I mean, he never died. So, you know, I could see why they could say that too. It's okay. don't know for sure. But I can say, I, I think it could be something like that. So there's going to be two witnesses. Well, actually a few more. See, out of every tribe of Israel there are going to be 12,000 taken. 12,000 times 12 is 144,000 witnesses like Apostle Paul's. They're going to see the two witnesses people are and maybe out of them come the 144,000 witnesses. We know they die in the street then they resurrect the two witnesses do. Okay, this gets around. Everybody in the whole world sees this somehow. It would be easily done through Internet today, wouldn't it? Satellite, such. No problem at all for all the world to see this. Preaching of righteousness. The Gospel is going to be preached during the Tribulation. There has never been a time like the Great Tribulation. Never like that. It's called the time of Jacob's trouble. Israel's trouble. They will be troubled. All the nations will come up against them. Antichrist makes a pact. Makes a covenant. They're able to build their temple and have their sacrifice in there. They're under protection of the Antichrist from all the nations and then all of a sudden the Antichrist walks into the temple and says, I am God. And you know what? All hell breaks loose then. The great restrainer is totally out of the way and all evil breaks loose for the next three and a half years. Very somber thoughts that we have when we think about what's going to happen there and then. You can think of uh, the bold judgments. All the judgments that are unleashed at that time. So it will be in that day. God will judge you. But he'll give a warning before it happens. Do you think that's a lot of witness that he's given? souls will be saved during the time of the tribulation. So many Gentiles will be saved. Jews will be saved that are elect. Another thing is the people are going to be indifferent to all the judgments that are happening and all the warnings about the judgment. It's everywhere. And with all the ways that we have to get out information to the whole world, everybody is going to know. It'll be obvious. But here's here's what they do. We we'll go back to our Luke 17. <clears throat> Verse 28, or actually 26, 27, they were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until that day that Noah entered the ark. Door slam, flood came. They're eating, they're drinking, they're marrying. Did you see anything wrong with those terms? Huh? I don't know. Matter of fact, some of those things are necessary, aren't they? We must eat, we must drink, we must be, you know, for life to continue on, there has to be marriage and and procreation. And and these are just common things that are necessary. It's life as usual. Life goes on in spite of the judgment warnings. Remember Noah? All that time. People had warnings. They just scoffed at Noah, laughed at him, made all sorts of jokes. In spite of his righteous preaching, what's going on? They're eating, they're just living life as usual. There's nothing that affects them, even with that huge boat out there. You know, it's interesting that they carried on as usual despite the fact that a flood is coming. Wouldn't you change some things if you knew that the world was going to be destroyed in such a manner? Wouldn't you do something about it? No, they just kept on going the way they always had. No big deal. Just did what was always done. You know, in the case, whatever will be, will be. Big deal, you know. Shows you that's an absolute unbelief, isn't it? Let's advance this now just as in the days of Noah. So you take that and transport this all the way to the time that Christ is going to come back, near that time. During the tribulation, you have some horrific judgments going on out of the seals, the trumpet judgments, the bowl judgments. Right? You see all those in Revelation, seven, seven, seven. All in the middle of that, the world is just collapsing around the people. They're seeing this. I mean, they're feeling it. They know it. You've got the sea turning to blood. You have fresh water being poisoned. It's hard to get water. It's hard to get a drink of water. We had a day this week where you had a little bit of a warning about the water here. You know a line broke, and it's like, uh, it wasn't a real boil order, but it was like, uh, there could be something in it. might want to take precautions. (laughs) Did you take precautions? I drank some bottled water (laughs) until I found out that it was okay. I had taken water in my great big mug that I take every day, and I thought, oh, wait a minute, I used the ice. I used the water today, so I just set it there, took it back whenever I went home and Carolyn gave me some bottled water. Well, we're at the Department of Natural Resources, guess who calls us? All the people wanting to know about the boil uh, order or what have you. Anyway, if you you missed water for a couple of days, you're going to start getting really serious. They're having all sorts of problems, folks. The world is collapsing. Crops are dying. Stars in the sky are being rearranged and a third of the population dies. Then a fourth of the population dies. That's a lot of people. All at one time. And they what did they do? They ate, they drank, they, they just kept on doing what they always did. They didn't change. Now some people do. Because of the preaching of righteousness, some change. So... The world is dying all around the people, all these things going on, and they're still trying to carry on life as usual. They're ignoring the warnings, the heavenly preachers, the earthly preachers, the miraculous resurrection of the two witnesses. They just carry on with life as usual. The world goes on with busy routines today. It goes on as usual. The world is just encapsulated. It's engulfed in sin. It's a horrible thing. The world rejects all the warnings, all the messages. They just carry on as usual. When all the world is collapsing, people just keep on going on and don't heed to anything of truth. That's hard to believe, isn't it? Well, when you think about how depraved man is and how depraved we were, it takes an act of God to turn people into believing who He is. Mighty grace of God. Okay, let's go to another thing. What, What else happened? Well, it was sudden judgment that happened. After all the warnings, then it's like, boom! It's almost like the lights go out. Sudden judgment. Okay, you say, how sudden was it? Because it was 120 years back at the time of Noah. Yeah. But at the end of those 120 years, Noah and his family and all the animals are in the ark. The door slams. That's it. There is no more time for the people who were outside that ark. I wonder if a few of them got a little bit serious. Once the door slams shut, all hell breaks loose. It's devastating. We go back to Genesis 7.23. Just as it was in the days of Noah. This is how it's going to be before Christ comes back. Genesis 7.23 Thus, God blotted out every living thing that was upon the face of the land from man to animals to creeping things and the birds of the sky and they were blotted out from the earth. And only Noah was left together with those that were with him in the ark. The water prevailed upon the earth 150 days. Every living being except for the eight. Think about the millions Totally devastated. He blotted out every living creature in the face of the land. They were. It was deadly, wasn't it? All were killed in the flood. Millions. Just like what we talked about last week, it's going to come very quickly. It's going to be very sudden, and it? it's going to be devastating. It's going to be deadly. You remember when we talked about when Christ comes back? The lights go totally out. It's black as black could be. And there is the blazing lightning flash, the very glory of Christ. And with all the saints and the angels around with him. here they come to earth with that backdrop of blackness and it's Christ's light that lights up the whole world and everybody sees it. Every eye will see Him, Revelation chapter 1 says. So that's sudden, isn't it? Although, how long were the judgments? Or I mean, the judgments that they had before the final wrath of God. Those were actually warnings, weren't they? Just like in the days of Noah, the people just go on, no matter how many terrible, devastating things are happening around, and the world is collapsing, and they're still living on... And then all of a sudden, out of the sky. In an instant, the blaze will be there for all to see. It's interesting. It's a good analogy here too. It's very helpful. Before the flood, Noah and his family are taken into safety. The ark is a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ. He is our ark. Our sins are no longer judged because we are in the ark. We are placed in Christ. Isn't that great to know that we will not fall under the wrath of God? We've been placed into His ark, per se. God rescues His own people. Noah and his family are caught away. Now, that's one example. We said one illustration is the flood. So Jesus says, Oh, okay, how about this? How about Sodom and Gomorrah? Did all the Jews know about Sodom and Gomorrah? Oh, yeah. Do they know about the flood? Oh, yeah. Everybody knows about the flood. Even today, people know about these two examples. You could apply it to unbelievers. They've heard about Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, let's take those same points that we used. We started out with evil days for the flood, right? Man's heart was evil continually. Same thing, Sodom and Gomorrah. Let's go back to Genesis 19. Genesis nineteen, let's look a little bit of that story. Okay, two angels are coming to Sodom in the evening, and Lot's sitting in the gate of Sodom. Did you know that Lot actually made a little impact there at Sodom? When you sat in the gate, it meant that you were a judge. He set the gates. Probably other judges. There's Lot. Really, maybe there was. He was trying to make some kind of influence of righteousness. Um, the angels are there. It Says in verse three, they were, they said they're going to spend the night in the square there. Yet Lot hears them strongly, so they turned aside to him entered his house and he prepared a feast for them and baked unleavened bread and they ate. Before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house. Both young and old. I would say probably the youngest. Teenagers could be very young teenagers. Could even be 11, 12 years old. All the people from every quarter they called to Lot, said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may have relations with them. They are new, they're fresh meat. They are really attractive to these men, these angel that, that look like men. But Lot went out to them at the doorway, shut the door behind him, and said, Please, my brothers. He knows how the people are there. They know who He is. He's a judge there, right? Do not act wickedly. Don't act wickedly. That's what they are. That's their nature. That's what they do. I have two daughters who have not had relations with men. Please let me bring them out to you. Do to them whatever you like. Only do nothing to these men inasmuch as they have come under the shelter of my roof. There would be a lot to be said about that. We don't have time. And I know you're asking, why would he do that? Well, that's the place he put himself into. And it's like he's got a choice here. And I don't want these nice-looking men here to be raped and abused and sodomized. They didn't say sodomize then, did they? Probably did. Just like it is today. We talk about to Corinthianize. Same kind of thing. But they said, stand aside. Furthermore, they said, they're going to get violent almost here now. This one came in as an alien and already, they're talking about Lot. He's He came in as a foreigner and already he's acting like a judge. Well, he had some common sense about him. And he used some righteousness. And I'll get to that in a moment. Lot is righteous. Lot is a believer. He said, I can't believe that. Well, that's what God says. But here we go. Now we will treat you worse than them. So they pressed hard against Lot, came near to break the door. Who knows how many there are there getting ready to break Lot down and the door down and they're going to get those angels. But the men reached out their hands, the angels, and brought Lot into the house and they, with them and shut the door, slams shut. They struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves trying to find the doorway. Supernatural angels had the protection and so the angels speak to Lot, and they talk about daughters. And anyway, they're going to destroy the place. It's evil. Immorality was rampant. Homosexuality, lesbianism, was huge there seems that everybody has heard of that. Sodom and Gomorrah. It's a symbol. It's a picture of pure ugliness, lust, immorality, all the things that went on. There's no innocence here. It's absolute corruption. Evil continually. Just like in the days of Noah corrupted their bodies, their minds, their souls. One of the best ways to see how depraved man can be is to do something that's natural and turn it into an unnatural act, as Romans 1 talks about. Homosexuality and bestiality and all of those things that are absolutely even unnatural. And here it is, right before us, in the Bible, an X-rated story. That's man. That's how far man can go, even beyond his natural means into things that are not meant to be at all. And so there they are, sodomy. We get the word today, comes right from this city. You hear that in the court of law. Sodomized. We know what that means. And yet you have these people that are so proud of it and they want to force it upon people and eventually they will be very I guess you could say proactive. They already are. They used to hide it. Then they came out of the closet. Now they're pressing it on to where they would love everybody to be that way. God has to do something with this area. And He does. But like in the days of Noah, what did He do? He gave a warning. Lot is identified to us as righteous Lot. A righteous man. Look at 2 Peter 2 verse 7. Remember in verse 5 when he talked about Noah, a preacher of righteousness, right? Now look in verse 7, and he gives this illustration just like Jesus is giving, the Sodom and Gomorrah. And if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, For by what he saw and heard, that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Here's encouragement to us. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. We live in a culture, folks, a society that I never ever thought would get this bad. It will get worse. I never thought our society would say and do some of the things that it now does. It exposes itself in its absolute wickedness. And it doesn't seem to bother anybody except Christians. Have you ever been tormented because of the culture that is upon us? And we get compromised sometimes because of the things of the world that is offered to us and we succumb to it or get close to it. We're tempted by the things that evil men and women are doing and want you to do. They want to destroy your soul. The devil using them, right? Wow. But he was a righteous I'm sure he tried to get some righteousness out as he lived it. It probably convicted people. They don't like righteousness around them. And even though he probably had some very good principles that they had to at least admire, at this time here they would kill him to get what they wanted. So the warning is given. Because Lot is righteous in himself. There were a lot of times when he was quiet. And what were they doing at this time? Doing just like the days of normal things. Eating, drinking, buying, selling. It's interesting. I don't know if it really means anything. And I'm not even going to read into it. Because I, I doubt if it's really... Uh, something that we really know. But it says here, they, uh, in Noah's time, they said they were eating and drinking and they were marrying. And in this text here, they were eating they were drinking and they were buying and selling and they were planting they were building. They were just doing what people do that say anything about marrying. Now you can take for whatever that's worth. But finally people get to where marriage is not a big thing. It It is prescribed by the Lord. It's it's an institution. Man and wife. Uh, and a marriage. Uh, we live in a time where marriage is not holy. You ever heard of holy matrimony? It's a big thing because what it is, it's really representing God. It's representing the Trinity. When two get together and love each other, they are showing an example of what the Trinity is as they are able to commune together like no other two people. It's a holy thing. At this time, it looks like they don't even marry. And today, people don't... It's pretty well the custom, even in the Christian realm now, people don't get married because they've grown up in a world where they've seen their mom and dads, didn't get married, and, and so on and so forth. You see where the culture finally takes us? We've become so hardened, we don't know what it really means, so it's no big deal. But it is a big deal. It's about God. it's about the way He does things. He ordained marriage. He ordained government. Those things are from God. It's a gift. It's a great thing. So, anyway, what's it mean? Well, they're just doing normal things. They're, They're so absorbed in the things of life. They were just totally unprepared for the judgment that was coming. Because they took... I don't have time. I don't have time. I, you know, I know, I know. You know, I need to go to church, but I've got so many other things to do. They were totally unprepared for judgment. It came suddenly. It's a sudden judgment that happens. You can say, but Lot was there. Righteous Lot was there, right? Lot was taken out of the city. His two daughters were taken out of the city. So was his wife, but his wife was left as a pillar of salt. We'll get to that in a moment. What did God do to Sodom? Well, He buried Sodom under fire and brimstone completely. You can't even tell there was ever a city there, even at that time. What kind of people lived in Sodom? Genesis 19, 24, and 25. What kind of times did they have? What was going on? Do you see mankind never changes? The days may change. Time may change. Man is still a sinful man by nature. And he does what he does. In Genesis 19, 24, 25, the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities. All. Everybody. And what grew on the ground, everything. Started. But his wife, from behind him, looked back. She became a pillar of salt. We'll get into that in a moment. Look in verse 28. He looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley, and he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land ascended like the smoke of a furnace. Can you imagine this? Burning. It's just ashes, nothing left. Then it came about when God destroyed the cities of the valley. That God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot lived. God saves during judgments. Did it at Noah's time. Did it here. It's devastation. It's deadly. They're all buried under... Molten lava and fire and brimstone. It was a holocaust. People were delivered a lot. His two daughters. His wife didn't survive because of her sin. What was her sin? She was back. She was a material girl. Is that a song? (laughs) Uh, The things in the world. She just didn't want to give up. Few are saved from judgment before the fire and brimstone. Lot and his daughters are taken safely to a mountain. Noah and his family, they were caught away and put into the ark. In the future, the redeemed and the beloved of the Lord will be delivered. The ones who are elect will be saved even during that time terrible judgment even at the very moment that Christ comes back grace and mercy and love are applied while at the same time he's applying his wrath a holy God the return of Christ just like all the aforementioned just like the days of Noah people will be just like the people that were in those days there will be days of evil God gives warnings. The people are indifferent to the warnings, the judgments. Devastating, deadly. Some people are saved. This isn't the final new heaven and new earth. He'll reconstitute it in an Edenic like restoration. Time of restoration, as it says in Acts 3. Now, that was point number one. But do you see how it sets everything up, like I always say? And the rest of our points fall into place as we go to number two. In His second coming, Christ will reveal the hearts of man. 17, verse 31, On that day the revealing of the Son of Man. We talked about that last week. On that day, the one who is on the housetop, whose goods are in the house, must not go down to take them out. And likewise, the one who is in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. There we go. He finally mentions it there. Remember Lot's wife. No turning back. Christ comes back, He'll expose the hearts, He'll expose the inward parts of man as far as His spiritual concern is. We look at Matthew 24, verse 17. Something very similar. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things that are in the house. Whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babes in those days. But pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on a Sabbath. House tops in the land of Israel were the patios that were on the top of the house. And that's where they spent a lot of their time. It was like their gardens in a way. Sometimes they'd take the potted plants and put them up there. They would recline and relax and enjoy on the top of the house. It wouldn't be that very far up because a lot of the houses were built low in contact to the ground almost. Uh... What we're talking about here though is a time of judgment and they're up on top of that house. says don't go back into your house. Leap off the top or go down the stairway that they would have up to there. Go down and get out. Escape. Don't think about your things. Don't think about your money all your possessions. Get out. Go. Turn, you know, there's no turning back here. Uh, this is this is the idea. You, you have a field. If you're out in the field, it says don't go back to the house. Go, escape. It's all going to feel the judgment. If you if you do go back, it demonstrates what you really love. You ever have been tempted to go back to your wayward life that you had? As a Christian, I would hope no. Why would you do that? Well, that's really what Lot's wife did. That's a common thing to do. People taste Christianity. Oh, well, that's really good. And then they see the cost of it and they see how cool things were back in their other life and they go back to it. Drugs, drinking, you know, alcohol. Uh, What are all the habits that people do? The the sexual immorality. They remember all the fun things. Yeah, the fun things that really destroyed them. And they want to go back to that? Bingo! What's wrong with the head? What's wrong with the thinking? Well, they don't really have the thinking of God. They go back. Um, Remember Lot's wife. The emphasis here is not on details, but it's on the general attitude. Leave everything in this world behind. The things that want to take your soul. Remember Lot's wife. What triggered it was probably the turn back at the end of verse 31. Don't turn back to the house. Remember Lot's wife. Remember. It's an adjective that means something designed as a device to aid the memory. Lot's wife was a story in herself turned into a rigid salt pillar. Everybody knew about that for centuries. She is the representative, she is the picture of people who are near deliverance and they are destroyed because they go back. They look back. Remember Lot's wife. Go back to Luke. 17. Jesus calls us to a holy high calling, not to the things of the world. Why do we get dragged in to all that stuff that was back in Genesis 6 or back in Genesis 19 or what's going to be in the future in Revelation? Jesus has been saying all along, He says in verse 33, He says, I called you to Me to be a disciple, to follow Me. I want you to forget yourself, deny yourself, take up the cross and follow Me. No looking back. Right? He's already told that many times. Here He goes again. Whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. Lose your life to Christ. Lose it. Because it's no good anyway. (laughs) Die to self. Lose it. That's the idea. Luke 21.21 And by the way, when we get into Luke 21, we get more of eschatology. As Jesus describes it, 21 is even more. And it'll be some of the things that go on one after another. We're just showing the nature of what it's going to be in passage today in, in 17 but in uh, Luke 21, 21. Because these are days of vengeance so that all things which are written will be fulfilled. Verse 21 says, Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains, those who are in the midst of the city must leave, and those who are in the country must not enter the city. These are days of vengeance. Uh, I can say there was a picture of this that happened in 70 A.D. When... The city was destroyed. The temple was burnt down. 70 AD, these things were fulfilled, but not in its fullest. It's a picture of what will happen whenever the Son of Man comes back When all will look upon Him. All the nations are against Jerusalem and Israel, as it says in Zechariah 14. Anyway, Whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. That's what we get in Luke 9.23. Quite the calling to the Christian or one who wants to be a Christian. Saying to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? There we go. There we go. It's the cost of discipleship. Well, we go to the third one here. So we'll go back to Luke 17. Point number three. Verse 34. This was called separation. See, he reveals the heart, doesn't he? he says, are, are we giving up ourselves? Living for the Lord. There will be. Two in one bed, one will be taken, the other will be left. There will be two women grinding at the same place, one will be taken, the other will be left. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other will be left. Uh, Quite a few years ago, people used to call this the rapture. I think this is not the rapture. This is the sheep and the goat judgment. It's not saying, "Ooh, be snatched right out of there. You know who the people are taking away? I don't want to be too dogmatic, but I will be. I'll say those people who are taken away are the goats. Do you want to be taken away? Not this, you know, there's a thing about the rapture which means to be caught up, to be snatched away. In the literal Greek it means that. God will take us up. And you say, well, that's it right there. You know, some of the tribulation movies and such, you'll see that and they'll use this verse, but... uh, Really, I, this is just at the time the wrath of God is being released. The ultimate wrath of God. It, uh, it's a time where you, you sit the goats over here, the sheep here, and He takes them and they go into their judgment. So, what, what's going on here? Well, Division. Is the key thought. You have two people, two people, two people. It's a way of life. You know, bed. Uh, how about um, two women grinding at the same place? They're grinding, they're making food, or getting making preparations like a kitchen. So you have the bedroom, you have the kitchen, you have the fields. Every, it's just daily life. It's what, you know, people are doing at that time anyway. And this happens in the most intimate settings of the family, right? Because life in those days was family. We all like family, don't we? Family is being destroyed today. That's exactly what the devil wants to do, is take that institution and destroy it. Well, family life, fields, kitchens, beds, normal things, and it will be divisive. There will be people in the family that are Christians. There will be people who are not Christians or believers in that same family. Or it could be people who are friends, they're with each other, but the thing is, you will all of a sudden be divided and never to see that person again. That's it. That's the end of it all. Everlasting division separated forever never to be joined together again two people two people that's the the thought the separation one taken the other left you have people taken you have people left the flood took all away in judgment but noah and his family escaped judgment they were separated right don't have time, but in Matthew 25, 31-46, it deals with the sheep and the goat judgment. Actually, in 25, verse 32, I'll just read just a little bit of it here, but it's a whole section. It says in verse 32, All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them from one another, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on His right and the goats on the left. Now drop down to verse 46. These will go away, and he's talking about the goats, into eternal punishment. That's hell. What is hell called? Eternal. Will hell burn up and then that's it? No, it's eternal. It's eternal punishment. But the righteous into eternal life. The ones who are living, they have eternal life that are believers. The ones who are living and are not believers go into eternal judgment. And then the finality happens in Luke 17. Disciples are listening to all this. And answering, they said to Him, Where, Lord? He said to them, Where the body is, there also the vultures will be gathered. What? What? What in the world is that? I think it's easy to understand. you ever looked up in the sky and seen a few vultures? Scavengers? What do you think instantly? Something's dead. dead. (laughs) (laughs) They're going to get it. All of a sudden there's a bunch of them. Now, multiply that. Christ comes back. There's going to be a lot of death happening all over the world. They say where's this where's this at what, what's going to you know what's going on where, where the body is there also the vultures will be gathered. where are the vultures hover, that's where I've been when Christ comes back there's going to be a lot of slaying of people. The son will still be living, and he'll separate those as we just talked about. It's going to be dead. Death everywhere. Wherever the dead are. Of course, we know about the spiritual death, don't we? Whatever the bodies are, this unregenerate people, they lie all over the world. Wherever the corpses are, that's where I have been. Where the body is, there also the vultures will be together. You ask where? It's going to be vultures everywhere. Jesus comes, it's death to the ungodly. We look at Jude fourteen. You want to hear a message about the ungodly? One verse tells it all. Talking about Enoch. It says fourteen. Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones. I've already seen it. Angels. His elect people to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly and of all their ungodly deeds which they have done in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. What's the emphasis? What's the main word there? The ungodly. And that's who's judged. Well, it ought to convince them, right? As we have this warning and all the judgments. No, that's not how it's going to work. They're going to go on with the everyday life that they've always done. They don't need to hear about that stupid stuff you're talking about. They're just going to continue doing what they do because this is what it's all about. Lot left town. It didn't change anybody. No, I give his warning all the time when he was building the ark it didn 't change anybody. It can of the tribulation we 've shown that there will be people saved. There will be judgments sinners hearts will get harder and harder and harder they 've been told over and over and over again, and their hearts get harder and harder they 'll even wave their fist at him at the very time that he comes back. They will pray that, cry out for the rocks to come down upon them and the mountains to fall right on them and to crush them and hide them rather than saying, I repent. I desire Christ. I want to change. No. As a whole, this is what happens. There will be a great, massive, sweeping salvation during that time of this massive time of judgment. The gospel will be preached. But there will be a hard-hearted rejection for most. If you belong to Christ, Christ is coming back in all His glory, as we talked about last week. It's called the blessed hope this here has described God's wrath we take joy when Christ comes back on the other side though it's pretty heavy even to us as believers because we know there will be judgment in a severe way there's judgment going on right now as people die that was their last chance the door got shut We desire to keep giving the Gospel. Preach righteousness. Just as in the days of Noah. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this message. It is heavy. We would like to think of just a loving, gracious, merciful God. God would never, ever cause some kind of wrath to be upon people. That's the way people think today, even in the church. But we see otherwise, and we have to preach this too, because it is truth. It will happen. It is happening. It has happened. Your glorious God, thank You that we have a different view of You. Thank You for putting it into our hearts. Thank You for making us Your children. May we be able to take a message of righteousness to lost people. And we rejoice to see them come to You as You draw them to You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay.